Hello everyone and welcome to the Actors Podcast, a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news relevant to the CDI profession and Actis. My name is Rebecca Hendren. I'm the Director of Programming for Actis and I'm going to be your host for today's show, which is part of our Talking CDI series. In every episode of this series, I'm going to be joined by a special guest, such as a member of the Actis Advisory Board or one of our expert bootcamp instructors to discuss a topic pertinent to today's CDI professional. Today, I am joined by Laurie Prescott, RM, MSN, CCDS, CCDSO, CDIT, CRC. Laurie is the Interim Director for Actis, based in Middleton, Mass. And Laurie is responsible for overseeing Actis's thought leadership, strategic direction, and providing an authoritative voice in the industry. Additionally, Laurie is the lead developer and instructor for the CDI bootcamps, and she's a member of the CCDSO Certification Committee and the Actus Advisory Board. Laurie is a frequent speaker on this podcast at Actus conferences and webinars, and she's the author of the Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialist Complete Training Guide and the Actus Pocket Guide. I'm so glad to have Laurie here today because today we are talking about the changes to the CMS HCC Risk Adjustment Model for Payment Year 2024. Before we get started, as a quick reminder, I did want to let you know that the Actus podcast now offers 0.5 Actus CEUs for the first two days after airing, which can be used towards your CCDS or CCDSO recertification requirements. I will share the instructions at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. But now, before we jump into our topic, here's a brief word about today's sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by the 2023 Actus National Conference, which takes place May 8th through 11th, 2023 at the Hyatt Regency in Chicago. We spend more than half of our lives at our jobs. It's time to see our professional lives for what they are, our lives. It's time to not just see our nine to fives as work, but to see ourselves as part of a community of individuals striving to learn and grow. It's time to see your job in CDI as an opportunity to flourish personally and professionally. You'll find sessions for all experience levels and backgrounds in each of the conference tracks for 2023, which include clinical encoding, CDI masterclass, quality and regulatory, management and program development, and innovation and expansion. As well as unparalleled educational content, the Actus 2023 conference features inspirational keynotes to recharge your soul and opportunities to network with your peers that will revive your pride in the profession and send you back home with a new spring in your step. As always, Actus provides breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages during breaks and an opening night reception, all included with your registration. So join us in 2023. It's the right environment, the right nutrients, and the right atmosphere to better understand all the ways you can turn your daily work into an opportunity to not just live, but flourish. Learn more and register at the link in today's show notes. And now back to the show. Thanks again for joining me today, Laurie. Oh, I'm happy to be here, Rebecca. Thank you. So I'm eager to sit down and learn more about these HCC changes. So can you tell us what did the final rule end up saying about the updates? Well, you know, the proposed rule was released in uh, 
December of, of last year, and the uh, final rule was released on March 31st, so right before April Fool's Day. Um, but there, were, there wasn't anything actually too exciting in that final rule. It stuck very closely to the proposed rule, so that uh, the um, announcement was released, um, as I said, March uh, 31st. And if you want to actually review that uh, announcement, you can go to cms.gov and just search for the announcement for calendar year 2024 Medicare Advantage, and it'll bring it up. It's about 200 pages long if you want an easy read on the beach. But it did, it did provide us with new relative factor tables so that you can see the new values attached to HCC, the new HCC drop list, and a summary of those changes. So it is a worthy read because we can't talk about it all in this podcast. But, um, you know, if that's your focus, I, I would suggest that you do go, go look at it a little closer. That's yeah, absolutely. So that's interesting. You said that the, um, the final rule didn't differ too much from the proposed. Does CMS take healthcare professionals' feedback into account with this? I think they like to think they do. They, um, you know, when it, when the proposed rule was released, I think the biggest change that got most people very concerned was that malnutrition um, was excluded in version 28, this newest uh, version, um, as a diagnosis that would impact CMS HCC risk adjustment. And you know that malnutrition is a huge focus for us in CDI. And, you know, the... Um, Professionals at Aspen um, did send in to CMS some comments. Um, they worked with our own Von Matikel, um, one of our board members, to write their concerns related to malnutrition and having it removed. Um, and they still removed it. So I guess they take our our concerns into consideration and they do if you if you read that final rule it talks about how people have voiced concerns about certain issues that were in the proposed rule and then usually the sentence that follows is we appreciate your feedback we have decided to do just the opposite so you know I, i'm not bad mouthing cms they have they have access to all the statistics so um their feeling was that it didn't. And actually, I've got the statement that they uh, wrote about it right here in front of me. I'll, I'll read a bit. It says, empirical data shows that Medicare Advantage reports severe malnutrition at lower rates than fee-for-service reporting, moderate malnutrition at a slightly higher rate, and mild and unspecified malnutrition and cachexia at a much higher rate. So empirical data shows that coding for malnutrition is variable. So their their conclusion was, you know, we're basically looking at the same population in fee-for-service as we are Medicare Advantage reporting, except how their Medicare is covered. They've, they've chosen, one population has chosen Medicare Advantage, where the other population is chosen traditional Medicare, but it's the same group of people, primarily that 65 years and older. And the fact that the reporting for malnutrition is hugely variable between Medicare Advantage reporting and fee-for-service, their conclusion was that that variable um, demonstrates that the data is likely uh, not accurate. 
and the incidence of malnutrition is not accurate. And um, they what they said was removal of the HCC of malnutrition allows for expenditures to flow to well-specified underlying conditions such as cancer and HIV. So they're saying that the impact that malnutrition would have on a patient's risk adjustment is included in the calculations, especially in those disease conditions that are often correlated with malnutrition. So I'm not an actuary. I don't understand how they reach the numbers. I tell people all the time I skip statistics more than I went to it um, in school, but I think the variation in reporting of malnutrition is likely related to how the reimbursement is set up. You know, it's a unspecified malnutrition and cachexia are reported at a much higher rate through Medicare Advantage plans. And that's because they were weighted at the same rate as severe malnutrition and affecting risk scores, where in the inpatient setting, fee-for-service setting, severe malnutrition has a greater impact. It provides an MCC versus cachexia or unspecified malnutrition. So we're, we're driven to get that increased specificity on that side. And so I, I don't know if the malnutrition variable is just based on the motivation to get more specific in, in one payment group than the other. I don't know. And I've probably confused everybody in that long story, but I guess we just have to trust CMS. Absolutely. Um, can you remind us what ASPEN stands for, the association ASPEN stands for? The Association of Parental and Enteral Nutrition. So that's that's the association that defines the levels of malnutrition. That's the association that credentials nutritionists and dietitians in their practice. Thank you. And I love that we work closely with them. Yeah. So moving on, what effect do these updates have on us? now? Like, what do we need to do right now? Right now, right this minute? Right this minute. Right this minute. Well, it, what's confusing, or again, I, I sound like I'm ragging on CMS, they don't do anything easy. So these changes um, are to be applied uh, to payment year 2024. So if you remember with CMS HCCs and risk adjustment, Payment for 2024 is based on diagnoses that are documented the year prior, in the calendar year prior, so 2023. So the issue is, and what they did to make it confusing, is they didn't just say version 24 has now been changed to version 28, which is the new model. They're phasing it in over three years. So calendar year 2024 risk scores are going to be a blended score. 67% of the risk score is based upon the present model that was produced in 2020. So version 24, that's the model that we work with um, and everyone has grown accustomed to. And 33% of the risk score for 2024 is going to be based on the new model. And then in 2025, they flip that entirely. 33% of the risk score is going to be based upon the model that we all know and understand that was produced in 2020. And 67% of the risk scores are going to be based on the 2024 model. So this new model does not go into full effect and 
and contribute 100% to the risk score until calendar year 2026. So that's again is a whole lot of confusion. What that means is we still have to understand version 24, the present model, and we have to understand version 28, the new model. And people are going to have to kind of aim to capture it all. And then by 2026, we'll be staring at one model only. So it's kind of like um, trying to think of an, an, an analogy, and I really can't. I'm drawing a total blank. I thought I was going to say something really witty here to explain it. I don't think there's anything witty to say about this. And it, it, there isn't. It's insane. You know, like I read it and I'm like, oh, everybody's going to go crazy. You know, for us as educators, um, it's like, do we continue teaching the 24, the version 24? Do we start teaching version 28? Um, you know, how are we going to help people with this transition? Um, and pretty much what we're starting to do is say we're going to focus on the new model, version 28. Um, and, you know, speak about the differences between the two so that people can still capture. So, for example, malnutrition, don't stop looking for it um, because it will still impact the risk score to a varying degree over the next couple of years. And to be honest, malnutrition affects a lot of other methodologies and risk adjustment. So, y'all, just because it's being phased out of uh, CMS HCCs, don't stop capturing malnutrition when it's appropriate for a couple reasons. One, it can impact the risk score. And two, it impacts a patient's response to so many different disease conditions that realizing that a patient is malnourished is actually going to impact the quality of the care they have and the focus of care they need. And that's, that should be our driving force in making sure we're capturing conditions in the first place. Absolutely. So it sounds like folks have a lot to do now because if you're not fully up to speed on 24, you now need to look at that and 28. Correct. Correct. And so how are we going to bridge that gap over? Like when once we get into 2024, what do people need to do? They need to start paying even more attention to the 28 model? Exactly, because it's going to be weighted to a higher degree. So what, what I would tell people is I would start really focusing. Most people that have been working in risk adjustment are pretty in tune to the present methodology and the breakdown of HCCs. So I would say, okay, I'm comfortable with this. Let me start focusing on version 28 and what some of those changes are. Now, you know, just to identify some of the changes that are going to be happening, the number of payment HCCs has been increased by 29. So there's going to be a total of 115 HCCs that will impact risk score. Um, so there's a greater number of HCCs now. The HCCs have been renumbered and many groupings have been renamed. So if you're a person that remembers numbers and terms, some of those have changed. Um, the coefficient values or the relative values have been revised. So the risk scores are going to be significantly changed. There's 268 new codes that have been added to the methodology but they've also removed over 2,000 codes that were part of the version 24 that aren't 
part of version 28. So there are significant changes that you need to start focusing on because as each year goes by, that newer version is going to become more impactful. That's interesting. So what about educating our providers? What do CDI professionals do now? I wouldn't go too crazy. I I believe I need to know for providers. So, you know, I would not get in front of the providers and say, oh, there's this new version of risk adjustment, right? Because then if you start getting into the details, just like I am with you, I call it getting into the weeds, right? Um, They're going to stop listening, right? So I think what we need to do is continue to talk about strong documentation practices. I think one thing that you might want to think of, especially those of you that are um, working in risk adjustment in the outpatient setting, is thinking about the increased specificity that's needed. One of the um, big changes or one of the issues that drove these changes from version 24 to version 28 is that version 24, the older version, was formulated based upon the ICD-9 code set. Oh, really? Yeah. And so this newer version is now totally based upon ICD-10. And ICD-10 adds allows for increased granularity or increased specificity in the codes that are assigned. So the risk adjustment model is looking for more specific codes to drive risk adjustment because we have those codes available. So for example, um, heart failure in the present model, version 24, didn't have a hierarchy. It was HCC 85, congestive heart failure, and it contained all the codes related to heart failure and cardiomyopathy. In this newest version, there is a hierarchy of heart failure codes that's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven levels based upon specificity. The top of that is heart transplant status, but underneath that is end-stage heart failure and then heart failure with heart assist devices or artificial hearts. And then we have acute on chronic heart failure The next level is acute heart failure. The next level is heart failure unspecified. So in the outpatient setting for risk adjustment, we weren't necessarily getting our physicians to differentiate an acute from a chronic heart failure because they both contributed the same to a patient's risk score. Those of you that work on the inpatient setting know for years Ever since ICD-10 happened, we've been looking to differentiate heart failure from acute on chronic because it impacted the DRG to a different level. And to get to that differentiation, the physician also had to define if the heart failure was systolic or diastolic in nature. That's a very traditional kind of CDI question that we've been asking since ICD-10 was implemented. On the outpatient setting, we didn't have to get that specific to get the impact. So one thing I think people do need to think about in preparation for this new version 28 is, okay, now it's a little more granular. It's looking for more specificity. We need to start working with our physicians to capture that increased specificity in the outpatient setting to make sure that we can achieve the right level of that hierarchy that's appropriate for the patient. So the 
the type of documentation in some categories that we're going to need from our physicians is a little more specific in nature. That's so interesting. Wow, you've really, you've really given me a lot to think about, Hilary. Is there anything else that people need to be thinking about now? I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, concern with these changes, with them being so large. But I think that the waiting over years means that we don't have to jump quite as fast to make huge changes as perhaps we might have. What other good advice would you give people? I think you, you know, for those of you that are uh, communicating up the ladder. Um, so the managers and the directors, we do anticipate changes in in the um, risk scores to a certain extent. So, um, you know, letting your uh, C-suite know, you know, kind of what what to expect. The expectation is is that people's risk scores will be slightly lower with this new system than what you've seen in the past. Now, CMS is also um, increasing the, the payment coefficient slightly. So, but um, likely what's going to happen over the next couple of years is you're going to see your risk scores drop a bit. And so, you know, having those conversations now up the ladder, um, you know, what about, um, you know, what, what, what is expected in those changes, depending upon the population that you care for. So looking at version 28, seeing what those changes are and trying to quantify what types of changes you are going to see at your organization, whether, um, you know, you're, you're reporting through an accountable care organization that's getting paid based on risk scores, et cetera, would help your uh, senior management team anticipate how that might impact them. Um, so um, I always tell people kind of you, you've got to be in the know so that you can prepare those people a little better. And and my bet is that your CFOs are already start, starting to tune in. But if you can offer education and, and um, examples of um, how a patient's risk score may change year over year um, to them that can help them kind of have that real uh, tactile understanding of what's what's going to happen. And, you know, I was playing, I was playing with some of the numbers um, last week and some examples, just the fact uh, that patients may be reporting less HCCs um, to contribute to their risk score, that's going to impact things like disease interactions and the bonus you get for the number of HCCs the patient quantifies for. So risk scores are going to change significantly. Um, you know, I, I was looking at one example where I gave the patient protein, calorie, malnutrition, atrial fib, diabetes, heart failure, and an amputated toe. And I computed the risk score in version 24 versus version 28. Version 24 had a risk score of 2.876. Version 28 had a risk score of 1.409, which is a pretty significant shift. So, um, you know, just playing with the numbers a little you know your populations, you know the type of patients you care for. This can help you uh, let the powers that be start to learn and anticipate how what that shift might be. And in the process of playing with these, you also may identify some opportunities that you 
hadn't had in the past. So I, I just suggest to people play with it a little, you know, um, you know, look at some existing patients you have and, and compute the risk scores one way versus the other and um, see where the fallout might happen. If you're a geek like me, I like to do stuff like that. Well, absolutely. I mean, that sounds very, very interesting so that we can all be better prepared for what's going to happen. Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you, Laurie. We have unfortunately run out of time, but I do appreciate you joining me for this very helpful conversation. If our audience has any questions about this topic, please do feel free to email the ACTUS team. You can reach us at info at actus.org. And we will also put that email in today's show notes, which are available on the podcast show page at actus.org and in your podcast app. So you can grab that email address from there. And now for something completely different, the Actus Update, which is our regular segment featuring the latest news on what's going on inside the association. I wanted to let you know there is still time to participate in the elections for the next members of the Actors Advisory Board. If you have ever read one of our position papers or white papers, listened to an Actors quarterly conference call, or attended an advisory board panel at the National Conference, then you know the crucial role that the Actors Advisory Board plays in the leadership of our association and indeed the greater CDI profession. So that's why we need you, our Actors members, to take a few minutes for a very important duty. And that is voting in the next group of board members. Each year, we open up the opportunity for ACTUS members to choose your next leaders and cast your vote for the advisory board election. And voting is open until Monday, May 1st. That's May Day, Monday, May 1st. This year, we have four finalists who have stepped up to run and volunteer their time and energy. They deserve to have our members make an informed choice and cast their votes. So you can read all about them on our website. This year, you will be getting to elect two new RN, other clinical candidates, out of a pool of four candidates. And the top vote getters are the ones who will be elected for terms effective spring 2023 through spring 2026. That's a three year term. Please note that actors only received one candidate each for the open HIM coding and physician positions. As a result, those individuals were reviewed by the ACTUS Advisory Board, which determined they were excellent candidates and approved their applications. So they have already been elected to the board. The process is simple. You log on to the ACTUS website, view our voting page with a reminder that voting is only open to ACTUS members. So you must be logged in to see the voting. You can review the candidates' bios and election statements and then cast your votes. You can find the link to vote in the show notes. And a final reminder, please get your votes in by May Day, Monday, May 1st, which is coming up very soon. And it's also almost time for the Actors National Conference. And the Actors editorial team and instructors are all getting extremely excited about seeing friends, new and old. And we're going to be in the vibrant city of Chicago. There's still time to sign up for the National Conference or for the Outpatient Symposium that is immediately preceding the National Conference or for the Physician Advisor Pre-Conference. 
If you don't know anything about the Actors Conference and want to find out more, you can find more details at actors.org. And for those of you who will be able to join us, I very much look forward to seeing you there. And that is coming up very, very soon. As a reminder, each Actors podcast offers 0.5 Actors CEUs, and you can use that toward recertifying your CCDS or CCDSO credential, but you can only get that credit for the first two days from the time of publication of this podcast. So to receive your 0.5 CEUs, simply go to the show page on actors.org by clicking on the Actors Podcast link under the Resources tab, and then clicking on today's episode from the list on that page. Then simply follow the instructions in the show notes for today's episode, and your certificate will be automatically emailed to you upon submitting the brief evaluation. The cutoff for CEUs for today's episode is Friday, April 28th at 11 p.m. Eastern. That's Friday, April 28th at 11 p.m. Eastern. After that point, the CEU period will close and you will not be eligible for them. But don't worry, because just two weeks from today, There will be a brand new episode with another option to get CEUs. And you can have the same opportunity every two weeks from here on out. If you listen to every episode all year and claim all the CEUs for the podcast episodes, you will actually earn 13 free CEUs for the year. So that's pretty good. With that, we have reached the end of today's podcast episode. Stay tuned because we will be back in two weeks on Wednesday, May 10th for our next show where we're going to be joined by Vaughan Madakal, MD, CCDS, who is the director of the Clinical Documentation Advisor Program at ECU Health in Greenville, North Carolina, my beautiful state of North Carolina. And he's going to be sharing the latest thrilling installment to a story Actus has followed since 2018. Vaughan will update us on their journey with the OIG and what has happened since their second level malnutrition appeals were denied. So a very exciting topic. Those who are coming to the conference can also uh, get a a sneak peek on that information because Vaughan is going to be sharing it in a session at the conference as well. Um, If you want to read CMS's announcement for the 2024 Medicare Advantage capitation rates and payment policies that Laurie mentioned, you can find the link in our show notes. If you would like to receive reminders about each episode, simply make sure you've subscribed to our free weekly e-newsletter, CDI Strategies, which always includes a link to the new episode when it's available. So as soon as that is live at 11.30 on Wednesdays, we will let you know. You can listen to the show anytime on the Actors website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. All the links we've discussed during today's episode are going to be available in the show notes. And as always, we'd really appreciate it if you would take a minute to leave us a five-star review on your podcast app, which will help others find our show. Our intro and outro music is Media Noche by Dee Yan Key. And our ad music is Take Me Higher by Jazz R, both obtained from the free music archive. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, please email us at info at actus.org. That's info at actus.org. Until next time, 
Take care, everyone.